Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at beersandbible underscore and on Twitter at beersandbible p1. You can also email us at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome back to episode number 39 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rick, and I'm your other host, Patrick, and we are happy to be back in your ear canals. So getting a little waxy in here, so we're going to need you to clean those out. Yeah, please do. This is gross. We need to stop the corona. I think by the time this releases, like, things will be opening up and corona will start to become, hopefully will start to become... A bypassing thought. Until the second wave hits. <laughs> Until everybody goes and then and then they actually, you know, make the curve that they were trying to flatten. Yes. I hope it didn't happen. Yeah, it it's, happen, but... it's been a it's been a weird few weeks. Yes, it's pretty has. much everywhere, I think. Especially especially where I am, just because, you know, we were working from home, we went back to work this week. Mm-hmm. And um it's just been kinda weird. You know, going back to the office, and then I've been to the gym a few times. What? Those gyms are open? Yeah, our gyms are Dude, are open. They won't, they won't let our gyms open. Well, weirdo. But they'll let they'll let eight hundred people go into Lowe's. Yeah, that's a that's the thing. <laughs> I've seen something that said like, you know, Walmart and all the hardware stores and stuff are are open, and you know, everything seems fine. Why can't we just go back to the way things were? <laughs> Why can't we just go get a haircut? Because the, the funny thing is, like, most of the barbers or, or hair salons that I've seen are like, you know, we have measures in place to basically protect, like, they're dividing all of the stuff mm-hmm. and all the employees are wearing masks. And, yep. Um, you know, they have, I mean, it's basically, and they're all wearing gloves and stuff and they change after every person and they sanitize all the stuff after every person. So I'm like, why not? I mean, yeah. I mean, they need to get their haircut. They kind of should have been doing that to begin with. Yes, they should have never really closed barbershops and stuff like that. Yeah, they. But anyway, we're not going to go down that rabbit trail. Hopefully, by the time this releases, life is back to semi quasi normal, almost normal. Yes, whatever. Because it will be when this releases, it will be right before Memorial Day. Yes, we all know how important Memorial Day is. Yes. It's a day off. To Memorial Day will have a, a whole new meaning for people who live through coronavirus. <laughs> that is so true. So true. So tonight we have on tap, we have a new brewery. Uh, we, we've kind of repeated a few, and it's been good because we found several breweries that we like a lot of their beers. But tonight we have a new brewery. We have the Fairhope Brewery, which on its can claims to be Lower Alabama's Craft Brewery. We will be the judge of that. That's right. You don't tell me who the craft brewery is in Lower Alabama, Fairhope Brewing Company. Uh, but we do have the Amber, and dude, I like the Pelican on the front. Dude, That's so, pretty awesome. So so the name of this is I Drink, Therefore I Amber. <laughs> I didn't even notice all that. That's awesome. Dude, that's amazing. Um, 
Yeah, and the and the bird looks like a little philosopher bird, dude. You've got you've got a Luther pelican on on your <laughs> true story. It looks like uh, if Luther had a monocle is what it looks like. <laughs> the the label on the can looks very familiar, and I'm trying to pin it like the the font of particularly the word amber looks very familiar, but I can't place it. I'm trying to find it, but I don't know. It, it's got like it's got a very familiar color profile on the can. Mm-hmm. The red and the yellow are very similar to something else, but I I'm striking out on what it is. Um, so, admittedly, and I, and I think I've admitted this several times, I am a fan of ambers, mm-hmm. so I have very high hopes for this. Um, you know, kind of my if I'm just going to get a mat, like a major produced beer, I'm going to buy Yingling. Mm-hmm. Which is an amber, and so I'm hope like I I have very high hopes that this one will be will be pretty good. Did you have high high hopes for a living? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get a if you didn't get that song reference, then yeah. too bad for you. I mean, I guess it's Shinerbach that I'm thinking about. Maybe Shiner, possibly. I mean, it's very similar. I don't think that's it. I think there's something else, but it's what it looks like to me. On, on the outside, I have no idea what Chinerbach tastes like. I've never had it. Shiner, I've had Chinerbach before. It's pretty good. I'd probably like it just because of my stance on beer. <laughs> you like beer, period? I like beer. Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. So, the I Drink Therefore I Amber is... Uh, have you done the stats on this? I was looking for that thing. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm actually looking it up right now. So, the picture has it... Pretty dark. It says on the website, it says a smooth malt flavored beer that's rich in flavor as it is in color, well balanced with some light caramel and toasted flavor provided from the variety of grains used to make the beer. A six pack carrier reads, Don't overthink it, just put it in Descartes. That's really funny. <laughs> like French philosopher. Uh, Philosopher, that's right. Philosopher, philosopher, Descartes. Descartes. Don't overthink it. Just put it in Descartes. <laughs> it's pretty hey, smart. You, you get points for puns there, Fairhope Brewery. Yes, you do. Because uh, <laughs> we we appreciate a good pun here on the Beers and Bible Podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically do, it does look a big giant pun. <laughs> it does look like a pretty dark beer, just given the picture. Um, it looks good. I'm I'm excited. Again, my stance on beer, so. <laughs> Sweet. Well, uh, let's crack them open and, and pour them up so we can drink these things and, and go to town. One, two, three, crack. Mmm. Smell test is going pretty good. That, that's a good smelling beer right there. The color looks a little bit darker than Yingling, but it's pretty close. My hopes are getting higher and higher for this. I don't think it's going to be a five, but it might be. Do we want to do the try to guess what it's going to be? All right, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it because we we've smelled it. So I think, I think I'm going to come in at four and a half on this thing. Yeah, surprisingly, I think that's where I'm going to land right now, too. Um, I really hope that it lives up to that expectation. Yeah, I do, too, because um, I would hate for it to be below. I would hate for it to be a dud, but it's it's 
it looks good. It's got a good, um, a very good uh, smell to it. That's the word. Yeah, it does. <laughs> smell. Um, I'm excited. Yep. Let's turn it up and let's see how we go. We're we're pre-rating at four and a half. Let's see what happens if we turn it up. Go. I like that. That's really good, dude. I like that a lot. Like, I really like that. Are you going it's to got- replace Yingling with it? It's entirely possible. <laughs> um, so it has the the texture and the the smoothness that I like from a Yingling. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as bitter. Yeah, it's a little bit more I sweet th- as I thought it was going to be, and that may be the caramel coming through. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the caramel because, coming through. Because even like sometimes even Yingling can get just a smidge bitter for me, mm-hmm. but I still like it. Like it's kind of like right on the edge. Um, but it it's not bitter. It's got a good. They're right. It's got that. It's got a really rich flavor to it that is surprisingly rich. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna come out. I know I know I said I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm gonna give this thing five Luthers. This thing is really good. Wow. <laughs> well, dang, Fairhope. I mean, Fairhope just came out of the gate swinging. And knocked it out of the park. This thing is, this thing is like, I'm definitely going back. The only reason I'll buy Yingling still is because I want cheaper beer. Like, I mean, it, it's a craft beer, so it's a little bit more expensive. A six pack is 10 bucks or something like that. Um, and I can buy 12 Yinglings for like 14. So, right. Or 13 or something like that. So, you know, but I mean, if I'm going to buy a 12 of Yingling and a six of this, yeah, I do. I would do that in a heartbeat. This thing is really good. It's it's brewed right. The flavor is right. Um, it has everything that I would want out of an amber beer to taste like. So that's me. I'm giving it five Luthers well, out of five. I'm, <laughs> to say that I'm shocked would be an understatement. Just because like, it is a very good. It's very, very good. I'm not going to take anything away from it. Yes. Uh, you're not going to give it five, though. I mean, I, can't say that. I, I, I can understand not giving it five. I'm really struggling because it is so, so good. Mm-hmm. But it's just an amber. Yes. You know, it's not like the... Um, we keep coming back to it. It's not like No Crust. It's not like the Hell or, come, uh, Hell or High Watermelon. Yes. Um, those had something that was almost quirky about them mm-hmm. there's nothing i mean this is a really good beer this is maybe the best amber beer i've ever had yes i don't know if i can justify giving it a five but i think it's better than the four and a half that i, <laughs> that I predicted <laughs> so you're like me you're stuck in that middle where like i don't want to give it 4.75 no i don't want to do that because <laughs> then that completely like wrecks all our whole rating system for the entirety <laughs> of the podcast i mean just based on, I mean, the flavor is great. It's nice and smooth. It's um, sweet, but not too sweet. It's not ridiculously bitter. Um, when I poured it, I don't know if you could see it, but like the phone, the head on it 
was really nice, and it went like yep. it was like an inch higher than my glass, and I've got like a pretty tall beer stein. Yes, and um, it didn't like leak out over the glass. I don't know if that says more about the like my ability to pour beer or the beer itself. Um, I don't know where I was going with that that thought, <laughs> but I, okay. So based on the fact that it is. Probably the best amber beer that I've had. Mm-hmm. I will give it five Luthers. Yes. <laughs> Not based on any input from Rick or or him trying to convince me through our video chat thing we got going. I would never do such a thing. Come on, now. Um, it's, it's it is really good. If you if you've got access to this beer wherever you are, go and and give it a try. Yeah. Um, I, I would highly, this one is going to be a high recommend recommendation, uh, from, from the two of us who clearly know a lot about beer. We obviously, (laughs) but I'm going to give it five Luthers as well. Just, just based on the fact that it's the best Amber I've had. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a little bit of icing on the, on the cake here for Fairhope Brewery. So Fairhope Brewery is the second brewery. To get double fives from Rick and Patrick, mm-hmm. um, Funky Buddha was the first, yes. and we we did have a double five the week that we we had two different beers, and Blue Point got a five, and Twenty First Amendment got a five. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- so this is only the third time that we've had double fives. An episode where we each gave a beer fives, yeah, five. So it's the third time this happened. But I mean, since we we talked about the puns. I'm just going to read you some on their on their website, and I'm going to read you some of the names of some of these beers that they have. Uh, along came a cider. They have one called Cinco Uno. <laughs> they have one called Dude. They have one called a Run by Fruiting. Yes. <laughs> they have one called There Will Be Blood. Back in Blackberry. Uh. The- Fairhope, you get points just for the names of your beers. Fairhope Brewery, coming out swinging. Five Luthers from both yeah, Rick and Patrick. Was, that was unexpected, to say the least. Because, I mean, I've never heard of Fairhope. Couldn't have told you where it was. It um, is a little city in South Alabama. Yeah, I mean, before before <laughs> we got this beer, I couldn't have told you where it was. Um, that apparently has really good beer. It's it's like um it's like the city in Atlanta near Atlanta that's got beer. I guess it's maybe just Atlanta because there's a lot of like suburbs in Atlanta that have a lot of beer. Yeah. Um Atlanta has a lot of beer because we've done a lot of beers from mm-hmm. yes, around we, Atlanta. Yes we have. Um but yeah, Fairhope Brewing, you Killed it. Crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. <laughs> I'm I'm almost done, and I am seriously contemplating going back and getting another one. Yeah, I'm, I usually don't drink two when we record, and it's looking like a good idea. <laughs> I'm thinking we might have to pause the recording to go get another one, because I'm about to finish this, and I'm probably going to go get another one before we dive into Packer. It's not a bad idea, actually. You know what? Why don't okay. we go ahead and do that? Why, so we're going to... Uh, we're going to take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a short break here. This is where the music interlude will be. 
and uh, Rick and Patrick are going to go get more beer, and we'll be back to discuss Concise Theology from Jerry Packer. Let's do it. still reveling in the greatness that was the Fairhope Brewing. <laughs> we have another beer in hand now. This yeah. this is so this is a first for the podcast. This will be the first time that we have drank two beers while recording. It's the first time I have you ever drank two? I I know I, know I haven't. I have I have I, I'm typically a one and done uh when we're recording. I've done it one other time that I can remember. Not not just not for any reason. It's just I don't you know, we usually record pretty much back to back. We don't take a break yeah. in the middle. Not that it's a long way to my fridge or anything. But anyway, so we're back. We got more beer. We're gonna talk about J.I. Packer. Things might get crazy. Um It's gonna get it's gonna get a little little loose tonight. We're gonna get lit is what's gonna happen. So That's um, right. Tonight, we are going to try to tackle three topics in J.I. Packer's Concise Theology, or three sections. And Part of the reason we needed another beer. Yes. <laughs> um, and it might, make this, it might make this episode a little long, so bear with us. We, we apologize in yes. advance. This is, this is us <laughs> apologizing already. So, um, if you're following along with us, if you have a copy of Packer's uh, book, Concise Theology, we are actually not going to go in order tonight, just because we felt like We've done this before. We felt like things flow a little bit better if we do it a different way than it is in the book. Mm-hmm. So tonight we're going to talk about um, coming out of our conversation from last week where we talked about the church and um, how important the church is and what uh, the church should look like. Um, we're going to talk about elders to transition out of that. We're going to begin our discussion tonight on elders, and then we're going to go into um, there's a section on the word and sacrament, and then there's a section just on sacraments, which is a little confusing, and I'm not sure why Packer would do that. Um, but, you know, it's his book. He can do what he wants. Sure. So let's dive in. Let's talk about elders. Elders. I don't think I'm old enough to be an elder yet, am I? You're elder than me. <laughs> you're, you're more elder. Yes. <laughs> so, so elder does not mean old person. For the record. What? <laughs> You're talking crazy talk over there. I always, look, growing up or once I started going to the church, every time I heard the term elder, I thought of a person who we would call or classify as a Q-tip. <laughs> which is just an older person or just a person with like silver white hair just like a full head of white hair oh man like yes. every time uh, i heard someone say elder that is the person that i pictured so typically which sounds that, wrong. that would be i mean we, you should respect your elders yes that is a true story um but when we're talking about elders in the church um we're talking about a specific group of leaders that are designated by scripture to be leaders of the church Okay. Much in the same way 
that America is a constitutional representative republic. And I'm going to blow somebody's mind right now. We are not a democracy. I knew that. Okay. Didn't blow, didn't blow Patrick's mind because he's smart and he's read more than one history book. Um, we are not crack it open. Oh yeah. Love that sound. So America is not a, 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 uh, democracy. We are a representative Republic. And so much like that, it's, and I don't want to give it the exact parallel because it's not exactly the same, but you, when you, uh, talk about elders in the church, you talk about people who are chosen for leadership, who are entrusted to make wise decisions for the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, um, and we, when we talk about the church, at least in this sense, we're talking about an individual church. We're talking, or we're not talking about yeah. the church as a whole. So, yeah. So we are, uh, and, and maybe this is too much to admit. I, I don't know. Patrick and myself are unashamedly Baptist. Okay. Obviously, we drink beer. <laughs> well, that would probably make us more Catholic than Baptist, but you know, whatever. Um, so, so we believe in in a Baptist ecclesiology. And so, when I say ecclesiology, I mean what you believe about the church, the study of the church. Uh, we said last week the, the word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. Um, and so when you talk about ecclesiology, it's the study of the church. Having a Baptist uh, ecclesiology would lend it to one of two things. And, and there are multiple ways that, that Baptist churches kind of divide this up. And if you've been in or grown up in a Baptist church, then you are familiar with a deacon. Um, and, and I think... I think that smaller churches kind of out of necessity have to kind of let their deacons function as elders. And, and while I don't think it's the best solution, I think it's an, it's an okay solution, but you have to be willing to keep your deacons in check. Right. Um, you can't let your deacons run amok. Exactly. So, so in scripture, a deacon is somebody who is a servant. So they're there to serve the body. They're there to do the things that the, the elders who are de- who are supposed to be the decision makers can't do on a on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, let's say your church has uh, deacons, and those deacons go out and make hospital visits. They make phone calls. Um, they visit shut-ins. They do all of that kind of stuff. That is the proper role of a deacon body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas elders are saying, okay, no. We're discussing, we're deciphering the vision of our church. We're deciphering where the church needs to go, what the church needs to do, how they need to do that to get there. The finances of the church a lot of mm-hmm. times are, are managed by elder boards. Yeah. And, and in some churches, the elder boards end up being the staff people. And, and I don't, I, again, I don't have an issue with that specifically until you get what we talked about last week where your staff just runs roughshod over the congregation. Right. And it's like, it's our way or the highway, and if you don't like it, then then you can just get on down the road to the other church. Yeah. In, in all these groups, you know, any time that, whether it's your elders or your staff or the deacons that are trying to force what they want onto the church body as a whole or, or onto other groups in the church, that's always a sign of, of something, of a deeper issue that needs to be addressed, um, whether it's yes. by the the lead pastor whether it's by the congregation whether it's by you know depending on who it is um there needs to be some some accountability and checks and balances between elders deacons pastors yeah 
between and, and really, you know, if you think about, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm under if I understand this right or not. So you tell me if I'm wrong. But okay, you know, deacons are typically chosen by the church. There is a specific role, yes, that they mm-hmm. that they are called that they um that they fulfill are, are responsible for. Yeah, they're nominated by their fellow members, or you know, the church staff reaches out to them and says, "Hey, we think you would be great at this role," and mm-hmm. they kind of act as mediators almost between congregation and staff in addition in in addition to visiting shut-ins making phone calls taking care of benevolence that kind of thing yes yeah well and that i mean that's the role of a deacon a Mm -hmm. deacon is is a servant of the people and so again again and and i'll make this parallel because there's so many there are so many parallels to the structure of the american government and the structure of the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's let's think about it like this. Okay. You have in the structure of the American government, you have the lower chamber, you have Congress or or the House of Representatives that contains four hundred and thirty five people. Then in the upper chamber you have the Senate, which contains one hundred people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Together they make up Congress, which contains five hundred and thirty five people. All right. So think of the the House of Representatives similar to similar role to deacons now again this analogy is about to go way off the train tracks because this is not how our american government functions right now but it's how they're supposed to function so in a perfect world this is how it would function yeah in a perfect world this is how it would function so the house of representatives does exactly what it says it represents the people Mm -hmm. so if you're a representative for a district of your state you're supposed to bring the will of your people to the federal government and say, this is what my people want. Mm. And and so all of those people do that. And then you say, okay, well, 300 of the 435 representatives want their people want it to go this way. So we should do this because that's the will of the, that's the way a representative democracy or a representative republic should work. Mm-hmm. Similar to wait to, to what deacons would do so deacons are to be going to the people hey is there anything you need how can i serve you what can i do to to communicate to the leadership of the church what you're feeling what you're thinking mm-hmm. what you're you know how can we help you uh, and that includes visiting shut-ins that includes going to hospitals that includes all these things that are servant roles in the church now think of the upper chamber as kind of like uh the elders so the the house would say, okay, this is what the people want to do. And the elders say, okay, we're going to take that. We're going to say, this is wisdom. Um, we're going to think about the situation. We're going to think about all the possible things around this. And then we're going to say, this is what we're going to do. And they, and, and they may communicate back to the house and they may communicate back to the people. The reason we chose to do this is because of these reasons right here. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is set up to be a communication line between all the different leadership avenues of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's where elders fall into that. Now, again, that may be staff people in some churches, because if you only have 75 or 100 people in your church, there's no reason to have 10 deacons, five elders, and three staff people. You know, right. that's half your church just about right there. Yeah. And so, so there's, you know, you may have one or two elders, you may have one or two staff people, you may have five deacons, and those people are have specific roles that communicate to the congregation what the the leadership and the staff are thinking and the congregation communicates back and it's a constant dialogue yeah that's the purpose of elders you know mm-hmm. and, and 
so to parallel this to the Old Testament, um, Moses is getting worn out from having to be the judge of all of these people. Mm-hmm. And he's having to do all this stuff all day long. And he's like, God, I can't handle this anymore. This is way too much uh, stuff for me to do. I can't physically do this. And God yeah. says, okay, go get yourself leaders and, and you know, appoint leaders of a thousand, appoint leaders of a hundred, appoint leaders of ten. And then each one kind of reports back up. And so you, you end up with this process, and, and this is a process called um, subsidiarity. And that's a, that's a big word, but it basically means you get the most effective information from the smallest unit possible. Mm-hmm. So your, your leader of 10 people is giving you the most effective information, and it's, it's the job of the leadership to pass that information all the way up the chain. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I mean, inevitably, that's where you end up getting problems and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, 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 uh, you know, in a perfect world, that's the way it would work. But, but this, this idea of subsidiarity is kind of the, the onus behind elders. Yeah. Is you have, you have deacons who are going to communicate with elders and, but they're going to communicate on behalf of the people because they're serving the people. They're in the lives of the people on a daily basis. An mm-hmm. elder may not necessarily be that. Yeah. But in some churches, the, all, a deacon and an elder may be the same thing. Right. You know, if you have a church of 75 people and you pick 10 guys to be kind of servant leaders in your church, they're kind of serving the role of deacon and elder at the same yeah. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, Packer moves into this, uh, he's talking about uh, how uh, all elders may or may not teach mm-hmm. um and that uh see here we got my notes um christ gave the church pastor teachers um mm-hmm. so one class of people who with that have like a dual role so they're pastors and they're also teachers um and that sometimes um teachers may not be elders and elders may not teach and elders might lead and teach um, and it may also not be the pastor of the church or a pastor yeah. on the staff. Yeah. It, it was reading it. It was, it made a lot more sense in my head than I just articulated, <laughs> but, um, but, I think I know where you're getting at and, and it's, it really comes down to, to this and, and think of it, think of it like a business, you know, in, in a major corporation, you're going to have a CEO, you're going to have a CFO, you're going to have a COO, you're going to have all of these, you know, CO, whatever. Um, the, the CFO, his main responsibility is finances, the finances of the business. The COO, his main responsibility is operations. Mm-hmm. The CEO, his main responsibility is overseeing all the other C whatever letter O's, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a pastor is a lead pastor is kind of this, this role that kind of has to fit into a bunch of different roles. Mm-hmm. He may not know everything, but he's leading the group and you may have a main teaching pastor. You may have a main administration pastor who's who's really sees the, the finances and that kind of stuff. And in and in bigger churches, you know, talk about churches that are maybe seven hundred and fifty people or bigger, you may have what's called an executive pastor. And that's a guy who's really there to kind of administer the staff and make sure the staff is is like they're supposed to be and they're getting their mm-hmm. needs met, their ministries are getting what they need and that kind of stuff. And yeah. a lot of times you get that from an executive pastor. Yeah. Um and so I mean Elder does not mean that you're a preacher on a Sunday morning. You know, you right. can be an elder in a church and be 
a financial guy, you know, and, and in some cases, a lot of times elders are lay people in the church, you know, and I think this is wonderful for churches to utilize this. If you have a guy who's very gifted at finances, by all means, bring that guy in to, to look at the finances of the church and mm-hmm. say, this is how we can do better. You know, yeah. if you have a guy who's gifted at teaching, bring him in and let him teach uh, Bible studies, uh, you know, uh, small groups, things like that, that are, that are maybe not necessarily, if he, if he's that gifted, let him teach on Sunday morning. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always have to be the, the senior pastor or the lead pastor teaching on Sunday morning. What? That's crazy. I thought the, Ludicrous. Se- I thought the lead pastor had to preach every, every week. I mean, um, he didn't do anything else the rest of the week, so why not? Yeah. I do think, <laughs> you know, you're talking about executive pastor. I think, you know, those roles are still important when you, when you consider, how much responsibility is on the lead pastor already to lead a, yeah. to lead a church of 750 or more is a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I don't think it's, you know, it's not wise if there's a lead pastor leading a church that big who doesn't have someone else who can also lead the staff because when you start getting into bigger churches, that means you have to have bigger staffs. Yes. And there's a lot of intricacies. You, you and I both know from, have, from our past experience working on, working at a church that there's a lot of uh, weaving in and out and a lot of um, just just a lot. I mean, uh, there's a lot, lot of communication that has to yeah, happen. There's a lot of communication that has to happen and not, you know, the lead pastor doesn't need to be involved in, all, in a lot of that. Yes. He needs to focus on his main role, which is shepherding the flock, which includes mm-hmm. preparing for his Sunday and loving on people that, um, that he needs to. That, I mean, he needs to be available yeah. to be able to do that. So, yes. Um. Yeah. So elders. So, so go ahead. I see. So, so that's the role of an elder. Now, how does that fit into the function and role of a church? And, and this is. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition this from elders into this other topic that Packer Packer talks about in word and sacrament. Okay. Okay. So we just talked about the the lead pastor. His role is to is to be the shepherd of the flock, is to teach, kind of be the main teacher. It's, mm-hmm. I, I I can agree with him being the main teacher of a church, mm-hmm. um, or being the authority teacher. You know, and and uh, I know of churches that do do this thing where they where they cycle through multiple teachers, but everything kind of flows through this one teacher. And mm-hmm. and though there may be four or five guys teaching the exact same text. They've all met, they've all discussed, and and kind of sought leadership from the lead pastor, mm-hmm. the lead teacher of the church to say, how are we going to communicate this text to our body? Yeah, and and so when you and and when you talk about and and we're not going to get into the the multi campus debate tonight, but but when you talk about doing multi campus stuff and you you want guys at every campus teaching the same scripture or the same you know message, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you've got to have some kind of commonality there. Yeah, but. But that leads us into uh, one of the main functions and the main roles of a teaching elder in the church, and that is the faithful preaching of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and Packer identifies this in his Word and Sacrament section. He, he, he really kind of just narrows out two different things that make up the church. Mm-hmm. So we've got leadership who are the elders of the church, and then you have two things that really make up the church in, as far as activity goes. Yeah. Now, now... You can have VBS, you can have Sunday school, you can have Bible study, you can have connect groups, life groups, D groups, whatever you want to call them groups. 
Um, but the two main functions of your church should be the preaching of God's word and the sacraments. We're going to talk about the sacraments in a minute, mm-hmm. but let's focus in on the preaching of God's word. Uh, what does that mean for the church? So, I mean, ultimately, what that I mean, what that means is that the church, the the lead pastor or whoever is speaking, if, even if it's a, I would argue if it's a guest speaker, if yes. it's a if it's you know not your lead pastor but someone else that's on your staff, they are preaching from an open Bible. They yes. are preaching the gospel every week from the Bible, um, and it's really disheartening. Might be the right word there. It's really disheartening to hear about so many churches that are growing so quickly that their pastors aren't preaching from the Bible because their yes. pastors aren't preaching. Their pastors are just getting up there and talking. Well, I mean, let's be honest. What draws people in is tickling their ears. I mean, why is Joel Osteen's church so big? Because Joel Osteen doesn't preach sin and repentance. Mm -hmm. Joel Osteen preaches, you can have your best life now. Every day can be Friday. Mm -hmm. And and here's a little newsflash. If every day is Friday, then you don't ever get to Sunday. So also, if every day is Friday, you still have to go to work. True story. Just just saying. (laughs) So... You know, so we're talking about, like, the faithful preaching of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Packer lists these things that are um, that are major red flags. Denials of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, denials of the deity of Jesus. Denials of the sin-bearing atonement. And then denying that justifi- justification comes through faith. Um, is, is a, they, Those should be huge red flags if a church is getting up yes. and... And not either not preaching about the Trinity or preaching about the deity of Christ or denying them altogether, then you as a believer need to be checking yourself and seeing, yeah, yeah, do I need to be a part of this church? Because this isn't really a church anymore. I'm going to throw a major pastor under the bus right here. Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be fun. Um, A couple of years ago, can can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Sure, guess. I don't have a guess. Okay. <laughs> I have a guess. I just don't want to be really wrong. There, there are so many pastors that, that I would throw under the bus. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to use pastors with scare quotes because I don't believe a lot of these guys are pastors. But anyway. Is he a multi-campus um, guy? <laughs> he is a multi-campus guy, yes. Okay. Um, so there was a, a pastor several years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, who actually said from the pulpit, from the stage, that we need to unhitch the Old Testament, from what we teach in churches. Sounds like something Furtick would say. It sounds like something Furtick would say, and it came from a guy named Andy Stanley. Oh, Andy. And, Come and on. I have I have appreciated Andy Stanley. I have grown up with Andy Stanley. And and when, when North Point was not a mega church, you know, I listened to Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley has an amazing ability to communicate. He really does. But lately, he has gotten caught up in this idea that he is so much smarter than the Bible, and, and he is able to outthink the Bible. And so he says this thing, and I, and I went back and listened to the majority of the sermon, and everybody's like, well, if you listen to the whole sermon, you understand his point, and you understand what he's saying, and he's not saying that we need to unhitch it. And I'm like, well, then why did he say it? Um, but, but his whole point was that the Old Testament has these these outdated laws and these outdated things and these outmoded stuff and 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 we just need to not do that the problem is 
That is a heresy that was condemned. It's basically Marcionism. Mm-hmm. And so Marcion is this guy who said, you know, we don't need to count this and we don't need to count that because I don't agree with it. That's what Marcion said. And so he's like, you know, we don't need Paul. We don't need this. We just need the Gospels and we need like the Revelation and we need a couple of other things. And then let's just talk it, you know, pack it together and we're done. It, it, you're, you're picking and choosing what you want from the Bible to prove your point. Is the, and that's the problem because you're not taking the whole counsel of God into consideration when you're doing that. And, and the problem with unhitching the, the Old Testament from the New Testament is you don't have a New Testament without the Old Testament. There right. are so many references. I want to say it's somewhere in, in the range of 90%. I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere in the range of 90% of the New Testament is direct references to the Old Testament. Right. And so if you don't have the Old Testament, you can't have those direct references. Exactly. So there's a, that's the reason you can't unhitch it. They're hitched together for a reason. Deal with it. Right. Yeah. And and that's what it means to preach the word of God. You preach the word of God in the hard stuff, in the easy stuff, in the fun stuff, in the not so fun stuff, mm-hmm. in the gross stuff. I mean, the if the Bible were a movie, it would be or possibly X rated. Right. The Bible is pretty gross. Yeah. But we still have to deal with it because it's the inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like we've talked about before, the Bible says what it means and means what it says and that yes you can't pick and choose what parts of the bible you're going to you're going to read or believe or listen mm-hmm. to or you know what you, you know as a pastor as a pastor it would be your responsibility to preach faithfully through the word no matter you know, you're coming up on a hard chapter you can't just deviate from your plan you can't just say oh yeah. we're not going to we're going <laughs> to preach gonna on skip that. that you know we're going to preach about about that this week because I don't want to like and, we're going to skip John chapter two because I don't want to talk about alcohol. Awkward. <laughs> so I mean, but I feel like pastors do that all the time. That well, oh, they absolutely where, where it's you know they're you know or they or they preach the same thing over and over again or from the same text over and over again. Yeah, um, because it, everything has to be five ways to make your life better. Hey, uh, maybe there isn't a cool list to make your life better. <laughs> Here, I've got one way to make your life better. Read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. You know. And then, and, I mean, Packer says that the the pastors that do this, the pastors that don't faithfully preach from the Word of God, or or they skirt around hard issues, or they or they don't preach the hard stuff. He quotes John and says that they did not really belong to us. Newsflash, he's right. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've, we have joked. Uh, I don't think we've joked on this podcast because we don't, we don't, obviously we don't joke on this podcast. We are so serious. <laughs> but, but I know I have joked in the past that like, there, there's going to be a lot of surprising faces when we get to heaven. We're going to be like, Oh man, didn't know that guy was a Christian. Mm-hmm. But there's also gonna be a lot of a lot of surprises going. Oh man, that pastor's in hell. <laughs> yeah, because just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and 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 in reality, pastors, teachers of the word are held to a higher standard than than just your regular Christ follower. Um, and so. You have to be very, very committed to what you're doing. You have to be 
honest with what you're teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the reasons that I believe that expository preaching and expository preaching is simply taking a book of the Bible, preaching verse by verse through a text, telling, explaining what the text means. The more and more you do that, the deeper your congregation becomes, the deeper your congregation becomes, the better they are at conveying the gospel to the world. Mm hmm. I will stand by that statement until the day that I die because I've seen it in action so many times and, 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 you know, it doesn't look exactly the same in every church, but the one common denominator that I have seen multiple times over and over again is that pastors from the pulpit on Sunday morning, ditch the series and ditch the, the topical and ditch that, that nonsense. And they pick up God's word and they teach it consistently from beginning to end. The hard mm-hmm. stuff, the easy stuff, the in-between stuff, they teach it from beginning to end. They don't care what Sunday it is. And the funny thing is, more times than not, when you get to a specific package passage, you will end up teaching something that is culturally relevant to what your congregation is probably going through at that yeah, time anyway. Exactly. Because God's omniscient like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, God you knows know, things. God knows things. In fact, he knows all the things. Um so, Pastor, you know, again, I'm I'm going to pick on Andy Stanley because he's so easy to pick on. But Andy Stanley said expository preaching is cheating because you know where you're going to be then every week. And I'm like, you're right. And if that's cheating, I will cheat every week. I would rather because, I would almost rather know where I'm going. Yes. Than be like, oh, I don't know where we're going this week. And, 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 and think about that as a member of the congregation. If you know you're preaching through the book of Mark or something, mm-hmm. like if you know if you know that for a fact, and you've started you started at chapter one last week, you're probably in chapter two this week, and there's not yeah. a whole lot of guesswork. Well, and then your people have something that they can read every day during the week. So when they come in on Sunday, it's not eight ways to feel better about your life, but mm-hmm. it's hey, here's what the gospel is teaching us today. Yeah. Here's how the scripture points to Jesus. Here's how it applies to our life. Yeah. Here's what it means. Here's what it meant then. Here's what it means now. Here's, yes. how, here's how I apply it, and here's here are ways that you can apply it. So we Boom. have the faithful preaching of the word of God, and we beat that horse into the ground. Dude, that'll preach, though. <laughs> it will. The other thing that Packer talks about is the right use of sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to transition us over to this other topic that we're talking about when we talk about sacraments. What are the sacraments? There are, if it depends on if you're Catholic or if you're Protestant. If you're Catholic, there's seven. If you're Protestant, there's two. Mm-hmm. Which Packer deliberately says that these other five are, need are, to be, are not sacraments. <laughs> are not sacraments. <laughs> Um, for us Protestants, there are two sacraments. There's baptism mm-hmm. and there's the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and a sacrament is simply a, a holy rite. It's a, it's a memorial kind of action mm-hmm. that really kind of puts our faith in, into action. You know, instead of it just being talking, instead of it just being words, mm-hmm. it says these are, you know, these are the things that you do to memorialize your faith. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and something I thought that was interesting that Packer said when he was talking about sacraments here, um, he says that there's no, like, there's no word for these things that puts them together, mm-hmm. but he compares them to their Old Testament counterparts, um, primarily a circumcision of males, mm-hmm. and then um, the Passover as a rite of remembrance. Yes. Um, but then 
he also says that biblical teaching warrants classifying them all together as signs and seals of a covenant relationship with God. Yes. So there's that going on. There's that going on. So so let's talk about let's talk about each one. So baptism mm-hmm. in the in the New Testament it, it represents new birth. Okay. Um, in the Old Testament, that was represented by circumcision. Mm-hmm. So. Every male was circumcised. And and here's a newsflash. If you were 30 years old and you converted to Judaism in the Old Testament, Ooh. you were circumcised as a 30-year-old. Ouch. Ouch pain. Mm. You know, but but it's the... Would, it's it, the, would it have been better to be born a Jew then? Probably. <laughs> just, think, but, just thinking. <laughs> as <know>. a man. <laughs> as a man. But, but, think, so, but the thing is, think about the commitment involved. Mm-hmm. You know... These guys go into this knowing that this is going to have to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's part of their, it's the ritual part of their commitment. And they commit to it and they say, no, I'm doing this, you know. Um, but in the New Testament, Paul explicitly says that we replace the actual physical act of circumcision with what he calls the circumcision of the heart in Galatians and says that that this is representative in baptism. So in baptism, if you've ever been to a baptism, hopefully your pastor said something to the effect of, buried with Christ and raised to walk with him in new life, mm-hmm. something along those lines. A lot yeah. of pastors say um, some modification, or they say, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and the reason that you do all three of those commanded in Matthew 28, um, but it's it's you, you bring into this Trinitarian theology that says the Father is the one who rules and governs, the Son is the one who is sent, and the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates. Mm-hmm. And so so you're baptizing in the name of all three of those as a representation of you're submitting yourself to the God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, mm-hmm. and saying, I submit myself in all aspects of my life to him. I'm, yeah. you know, um, if you're a Presbyterian, you sprinkle. If you're a Baptist, you dunk. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're not going to get into to that debate tonight cause it's not, it's not worth it. But, uh, whatever your view of baptism, it is supposed to be a representation of your new life in yeah. Christ. Yeah. You I, know, I, it's supposed to, sorry, go ahead. I say it's supposed to be, you're dumping this old thing. You're, you're washing yourself clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard so many pastors when they, especially when they introduce baptism, talk about how it's, uh, a, it's a visual uh, symbol of what has happened in your heart the same way yes. that, um, you know, they say that, you know, not being baptized doesn't mean you're not saved the same way mm-hmm. that not wearing a wedding ring doesn't mean, makes doesn't make me not married. Yes. You know, it, it's an act of obedience, yes. Um, but, you know, they also talk about how it's not necessary for salvation or to get to yeah. heaven because yeah. they point back to the thief on the cross. Yeah. The act alone doesn't save you, but it is commanded by God. Yes. Yes. And it is, so, it, it, to be to be obedient to God as a follower of Jesus, baptism is a requirement. Yes. Yeah. You should you should do that. And mm-hmm. and, you know, I've heard people say, well, I was baptized, you know, as a kid. And then in later in life, I, I really kind of understood what it meant to be to be a part of the gospel. I understood the gospel, and I, you know, and I say, okay, do you believe you were converted when you were a kid, or do you believe you were converted mm-hmm. when you were older? Yeah, you know, because if you were older, then I would say you need to be baptized again. But yeah. 
if you believe, you know, if you say, you know, from the time I was baptized as a kid, I struggled. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, there was this, this struggle and, and, and that would be, you know, that would be similar to my story. I was baptized as a kid and, and for, you know, for a little while, I mean, I was an, I was an eight year old. I didn't really understand it, but I knew if I did something wrong, if I disobeyed my parents, if I did this, I, I knew that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't until later in life that I said, you know what? This is the this is going to be the way that I need to follow. This conviction that I keep having needs to be the conviction of my life and it mm-hmm. needs to be the guiding the you know, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And so I need to fully submit to that. So I would say, yes, I was converted at a younger age when I was baptized. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't actually grasp it until later. Gotcha. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be baptized again, but it but it but I'll look back to that baptism and go, okay. That is still the 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 public declaration of my conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. even even if it was even if you didn't fully grasp the importance of it or the you know the fact that you're being obedient to God in, in the moment yeah. or whatever, you still look back on that and say, "I was converted before I was baptized." Yes. And as in as I grew as I've grown up as I've become more mature, I understand now what that means and that it was a true conversion and not a, I'm not, yeah. it wasn't just a getting baptized because everyone else was getting baptized yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we have baptism. Mm-hmm. All right. And we have what it represents is the conversion into new life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's represented in the old Testament by uh, circumcision. Mm-hmm. The other sacrament that we have is the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and and you pointed out that that is represented in the Old Testament by Passover. Right, and and I think it's you. It's unique and interesting that Passover is that because there is so much symbolism and so much parallelism in the Passover to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that that and and people would argue with me on this point, but I think that Christians today need to observe Passover. Um, not as a requirement. I'm, I'm not talking about Galatians here. I'm not talking about this as the law. Um, but I think the amount of symbolism that is there in the Passover, mm-hmm. it is beneficial for Christians to take a night, take some time and understand exactly what that meant in the old Testament, how that translates to the new Testament and how we can continue to better our lives because of that. Mm, yeah. You know, and and it was it was the Passover that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. You know, Paul didn't make it up in First Corinthians. It was really instituted in the mm-hmm. both, uh, in the Gospels with Jesus at the Passover. Yeah, because he says, you know, you're all going to drink from this cup, and I'm gonna I'm just going to spoil it for everybody. They had wine, alcoholic wine in their cups. Yes, Jesus consumed alcohol. Oh my gosh. Okay, now that we're past that. Um, you know, but he passed his cup around to to all of his disciples, and that was kind of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, you know, that was the institution. Here's what it means for us. And Paul, that's why Paul says, you know, do this, you do these things in remembrance. Um, and and really and truly, Paul is pointing back to any time that you eat, you should remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Mm. Um, but even more specifically. At this time at Passover, it's a time where we say, you know, look at the bondage that we were delivered from. Take that back to 
Old Testament. Look at the bondage that Israel was delivered from. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and how they were delivered. They were delivered by nothing short of the hand of God. Right. You know, the Red Sea, the plagues. Read Exodus. Go back and read Exodus if you don't believe me. And then talk about, bring that to the New Testament. We are delivered from our sin and our transgression. Mm-hmm. And, and we're done, we're delivered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that is what the Lord's Supper is a memorialization of, mm-hmm. is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, we, we you, know, you take the bread as the body of Christ that was broken for, for our sin and the juice or the wine. I, I don't think I've, no, maybe once I did communion with actual wine. It was, I was young. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I say young. I was like 15, 16, maybe. But, um, you take the juice as the, as the, as a remembrance of the shedding of the blood of Jesus. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a great symbol and reminder of, of what Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really should be something we do with some regularity. Yes. Um, if, if you go to a, if you're a part of a church that, you know, some churches do it once a year or once every six months or, you know, once a month or some churches do it every week, mm-hmm. um, there should be some rhyme or reason to it. And sometimes churches will say, you know, you know, we're, we're going to do the Lord's Supper this week, and and this is why, or we feel led to do it. You know, whatever. Um, there should be some reg- You should be partaking in regular communion with the yes. body of Christ. Yes. Um, more often than most, I imagine some churches do. Yeah, and and I'm just going to say that in our in our current situation, um over the last few weeks and especially over Easter, because Easter is typically one of those weekends where churches do communion. And I saw hundreds of churches doing, you know, virtual communion. And, and I, you know, do I understand the sentiment behind virtual communion? Yes, I do. I do. But I also believe that there is a specific pattern in scripture that is, it says, you know, communion is for the gathering of the body. Now, mm-hmm. I would agree that at this time we are under providential hindrance and we cannot gather. And so it's okay to not take communion while we're not gathered. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm just going to offer a little bit of disagreement on virtual communion. Um, I understand the sentiment and I understand where these pastors are coming from. And I don't disagree with their hearts. They want right. their church to to be able to partake in this, in this act and they, in, in, in this sacrament that is so precious to the church mm-hmm. and, and, and they want to be able to do that. But I think there's guidelines that have to be put down. And, and I think, you know, co- communion is supposed to be administered by the elders or the leaders of the church. Mm-hmm. And so in a situation where you can't do that physically, you can say, okay, we're in a time of providential hindrance. It's okay for us to not observe the Lord's supper until we're able to meet again, which yeah. is, you know, by the time this comes out, churches will probably be meeting again, or they'll at least be getting back to it. Yeah. And so I hope churches, when you get back together, you know, do what you can to observe the Lord's Supper maybe multiple times. So if there's people who can only come on certain weeks, they have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. I, I, you know, they have an opportunity to do it in person. Yeah. I imagine a lot of churches those first few weeks will be doing communion at least at least the first week and maybe even 
for several weeks going on yeah. after that. Okay, so, I hope so. Yeah. So, um, just to talk about communion for a second, um, and I, I just want to get your thought on this. I personally okay. do not agree with what I'm about to ask you. Okay. I think it's um, not biblical for, for this to occur. Okay. I've seen it several times. Uh, in my work, in my job at the church, I, I saw this. I don't. I could not tell you how many times I saw this. <laughs> what do you think about a at a wedding ceremony, the bride and groom being the only ones to take communion? So, I'm going to say that I understand again why they would do that, but I disagree with it. Okay. Um, because I can, I hold to the belief that. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is specifically for the gathered body of Christ, mm-hmm. and it is specifically for the gathered body of Christ at a corporate worship setting. Mm-hmm. Now, a wedding is not a corporate worship setting. I will agree it is a worship setting mm-hmm. because you're honoring the institution of marriage as given by God. Right. But so you, it is a it is an act of worship setting. But not just but, uh, any believer can show up. Exactly. And so you, what they call this in, and they call it this in, in a lot of times in reformed circles because they're the ones who are big on it. They call it fencing the table, um, and it's it's the it's the job of pastors and, and elders to kind of guard the table to keep people f- who should not partake in it from taking from partaking. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Catholic, it it comes down as an order from your bishop or your archdiocese or whatever, and they say. Hey, this person can't take uh, communion. They're banned from taking communion, and and that's happened a lot of times in in public settings, where famous people have been banned for whatever you know for a stance or something like that. It's the same concept where if you have somebody in your church who is in open rebellion, who is in open sin, they should not participate in the Lord's Supper until they have repented mm-hmm. and reconciled. Mm-hmm. And so. That's another thing about the Lord's Supper. Another aspect of the Lord's Supper is it's an opportunity to repent and to reconcile. So you get yourself right before God, right with your brothers and sisters, so that you can participate in the act of the Lord's Supper or the act of the mm-hmm. uh, act of communion. And so, you know, for that reason, I would say the wedding. I don't think a wedding is the appropriate place to offer the Lord's Supper now. I understand why it's offered at weddings because it's a time for that couple to say, we are committing our marriage, we're committing our life, we're committing, you know, I understand that. I think it's better done outside of the wedding ceremony with a pastor and just the couple. You know, I'm I'm okay with that if they do it separate from the, the wedding ceremony and the, and the couple says, this is something that we're doing together. Mm-hmm. This is something we're doing first as a married couple. Right. And... And so in, in that arena, I would say, yes, I agree with it. But in the actual wedding ceremony, I would have to say, no, I don't agree with it. Yeah. Every time I see it, and it's, I mean, it's just weird to me that, you know, communion is supposed to be something that as a as the body of Christ, we partake together, and it's just the bride and groom that do it. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, so, it's not anything that I, I've never, like, gotten up and left the wedding because of that. But, yeah. I mean, I thought about it. But, yeah. Um, but it's just well, one of those. It's, it's just one of those things. It's like, I and I, I agree with you. I understand, and I get what they're doing. I just don't find any scripture to back up what they're doing. There's because there's not any, and and 
you know, again, I would say if you do it apart from the wedding ceremony with just the pastor and the two, to the you know the couple, I would say that's fine because it's being administered by an elder. It's being administered to more than one person. So, I mean, you have a corporate gathering of the church when you have two people, right? So, you know, I I think that's a little loose, but but I can I can at least say, eh, you know, okay. If, if it's not part of the entire ceremony, then exactly, then, exactly, then you're not because if you're administering it to just the husband and wife, then all the people who are in the wedding, uh, in the congregation at the wedding are being denied their right to a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, anybody who's not a believer in Christ is like, well, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. You know, there's no explanation of, of this is what they're doing. A lot of times it's just, they're going to take the Lord's supper. Now, just the two of them. Okay. You know, so when does the party start? So, so (laughs) just to follow up, not to, not to sit on this for a long time, but we're talking about communion. So, um, what if they in in, the, in a wedding ceremony, what if they offered it to the entire con- to to the entire gathering? Um, I mean, if they offered it to the entire gathering, I would say, uh, you know, that's a little bit better than than not. Yeah, it's it's you still know? not a corporate worship gathering, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's still a it's you know it, there's a limited number of people there or whatever, um, but they're at least giving everyone who's a believer the opportunity. Yes, partake. That would partake, be that would yeah. be marginally better. I I still yes. don't think. I personally don't think communion has any place to be in a wedding ceremony. Yeah, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah. I and I would agree with that. You know, and again, if they wanted to do it separately, you know, on their wedding day, I understand that. But just not during the ceremony. Mm-hmm. I don't think during the ceremony yeah. is the place to do that. If you wouldn't baptize during your wedding ceremony, you shouldn't take communion exactly so you know and, and that really leads us to the point the point of the sacraments you know uh the point of the sacraments is is this idea of the means of grace mm-hmm. um you know and when we talk about the means of grace it's ways that god shows his grace in a physical form mm-hmm. kind yeah. of kind of through through his people mm-hmm. and so so you have you have the preaching of the word of god is a means of grace the, the baptism is a means of grace and Preaching is kind of like this, uh, this audible gospel. You know, it's the gospel being preached out loud. And Romans ten says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so you have the gospel being preached. You have the word of God being preached, and then you have the death, burial, and resurrection on display in the in the uh, Lord's Supper. And so everything should point to, and everything should be for the edification of the church when exactly. it comes to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then you're not doing it right. Right. And you need to rethink what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, Packer just says that the sacraments strengthen our faith by correlating Christian beliefs with the testimony of our senses. So what we can see and, and hear and and touch, smell and taste, maybe not so much, but taste. I mean, even taste with when you take the Lord's Supper, I guess, also. Yeah. So all of our senses are involved. Um and, and then he quotes the, the Heidelberg Catechism, which I'd never heard yeah. of. That was cool. It's um, a good one. Yeah, so um, so he quotes that, and I just want to read this here. Um, so it says that Christ has commanded me to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in memory of him, and therewith have given assurance. First, that his body was broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me, as sure as I see with my eyes the bread broken for me and the cup communicated to me and further 
that with his crucified body and shed blood, he himself feeds and nourishes my soul to eternal life, as sure as I take and taste the bread and cup, which are given me as sure tokens of the body and blood of Christ. So he's talking about when you when you take communion and you and you see the bread and you and you see the you see the bread and the juice wine whatever it is I, I hate that there's like <laughs> it could be juice it could be wine what is it um so but as surely as you see and and touch and taste those things Jesus's body was broken for you Jesus shed his blood for you. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's as sure as the presence of the of the elements of communion. It's as sure as yeah. you being baptized yes. um, that Jesus was that Jesus died, was buried, and raised again. Mm-hmm. The same way that you were dying to your sins, buried in the watery grave, and raising risen up to yeah. to walk a new life. So the the sacraments are are this idea that like as sure as the sacraments are. I know that Jesus is and did what he said he did. Yes. I love Packer's closing line on the section in sacraments where he says, sacraments function as a means of grace on the principle that literally seeing is believing. Yes. And so it's a physical act that is a portrayal of the gospel for everyone to see. Mm. And in the hopes that what they see, they will believe. Amen. Amen. That's a great place to end right there. So we talked a lot about um, the sacraments and and what those things were tonight. We're actually going to dive a little bit deeper into them next week. So yes. So here we go. Um, maybe over the we'll next. We're talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper in detail next yeah. week. Yeah. Not because we didn't. This I was week. about to say we didn't do that this week. So uh, hope you'll join us for that next week. Um, our two beers from Fairhope. The um, I drink, therefore I ambers. My two are gone, long gone. Yes, so mine are gone as well. I feel I feel great. I've got four more in the fridge, so we'll uh, we'll crack those out this week. And um, if our listeners wanted to catch us on the socials, what would they do to do that? Where so would they if go? You're, if you're on Instagram, you would go to beers and Bible underscore. If you're on Twitter, you're going to go to beers and Bible P one. If you're on Facebook, you can search Beers and Bible Podcast. And if you like to email stuff, like it's 1993 again, it's Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so just, that is the best way to reach us. Yeah, just look for our logo, um, the logo that's uh, your list, that you see when you listen to us, wherever you're listening to us. If it's on Apple or Spotify or where else are we? All the places. All the places. We're on all, all the places. places. Um, so just look for that logo wherever you uh, wherever you are on the socials. We'd love to hear from you. Share and like our pages and posts and comment on things and send us messages. Like we Please said, do. we'd love to hear from you. Get your beer suggestions or any deep theological or doctrinal questions that you have. We'd love to we'd love to hash those out with you. So that's right. Uh, hopefully by the time this comes out, quarantine will be over and. We'll be back to a regular life. Yeah, we can party. (laughs) Party like it's sometime. Sometime. Yep. So until next week, have a good one. We will see you on the flip side. Peace out. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.